I am positive beyond a doubt that when Paul wrote this passage that we've been using as a theme for the Great Commission and the fact that we all need to be involved in the Lord's work, I'm sure that he would say, "Mm, you might be stretching it a bit from 1 Timothy 3 because really I'm just talking about leadership. But then, wait a minute, maybe not. Because as go the leaders, so goes the church. And he really talks about the first part of the chapter, first eight verses or so, about the elders. And Steve gave us a real excellent presentation on the concept that elders slash bishops slash overseers, all the same persons slash pastors, are just those who are doing the work of feeding my sheep, of caring for the work of God. And he has that beautiful passage of the responsibilities and the qualifications, the, as it were, the job description for elders. And uh, then he gets on to the job description for the deacons. I remember a few years ago talking to a young on-fire Christian he said, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Like, why all this why all this stuff about deacons and elders and saints and believers? What, even baptism, Lord's Supper. I mean, can't we just do it our own way? Can't we just kind of, like, we've been brought into freedom with Jesus. We, you know, where the Spirit is, there's liberty. Can't we just do it our own way? Just gather together as Christians, you know, have a little sing-song kumbaya sort of thing, you know. Can't we just, uh, you know, sing, sing we're one in the Spirit and we just gather around the fire? Campfires are great for that, you know. And we just gather around, you know, gaze into the fire and worship the Lord with lifted hands. And I said, yeah, you can. But here's the point. You can choose that, and many do. But don't you want to choose the way God wanted it done? Like, is there really any preference given? Like, why would Jesus, for example... On the night before he's crucified. This is his last moment. What's he thinking about? He institutes the Lord's Supper. Like that is so paramount. Never did it before then. I mean, they had, the, they had the Passover suppers, but he didn't do the Lord's Supper. The communion. The breaking of bread, we call it. He didn't do that until then. Why? Because he zeroes in. He knows. They're ready. They've been three years with the Master. They've lived out on the edge all those three years. They give up everything to follow Jesus. They've been camping out together. They've been in the storms together. They saw him walking on the waters. They saw him calming the seas. They saw him healing the dead. They saw him giving life. They saw him giving sight to the blind. They saw all the miracles. They saw the hatred of the, the religious leadership. And they're trying to put this together. And you see those two disciples come up, James and John. And boy, they're, they're anxious. Hey, I've been with you since the beginning, so i got special preference here. And besides, my mom has been talking to, to, to you. She comes up and she says, Hey, these two, they want to be on your left hand and your right hand in the kingdom. They want to be your buds for the kingdom. And he says, Well, it's not for me to give. And besides all this, and he looks, can you drink the drink that I'm going to drink from? And he knows that that's not going to be the same for them. 
So, is there a right and wrong way of doing things? I believe the Bible is clear. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given us the Ten Commandments. He would have given us the Ten Options. You know, select your preferences here. He, he, he is very clear about who he is and what he wants from us. And so, let's see where we go with this. First of all, are we going anywhere? I guess not. Okay. Can our resident IT take a look at that and see why it's not moving? Oh, it helps if I have my button on. Let's try it again. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I still appreciate that, Eve. <laughs> ah, yes, the on-off switch. What, a, what an invention, eh? <laughs> Truly, it's a God-given invention because for you who do not know Jesus today, you're in the off mode. You may be hearing my voice. You may be hearing the ideas. They, they may be kind of dancing around in your brain, but you still don't get it. You're going, what? The fact is, Jesus wants to give not a new way of doing things. He wants to give you life. He doesn't want just a mashup of all that you had before. And so, you need the on button. And only He can give it, but you've got to ask. He loves it when people say, turn me on. Give me life. I'm tired of this. This is nonsense. I want Jesus. I want your resurrected power. And so, we've got a... I'm sorry it shows so poorly here because just we haven't got the, the illumination, but this was a picture of some geese flying. I'm not sure which way they were going, north or south, but one of those times. And they're all heading in a direction. They have a pattern. And we love patterns. And the Beautiful monarch butterflies or whatever these butterflies were. They showed up one day in our backyard and I just had to take a picture because the beautiful pattern, these will be on the day, uh, on the, uh, uh, for those of you who go to our sermons, these will be available for you to have a look at closer. God loves to put together patterns. A rainbow is a pattern of light. And we all look for patterns in life. And the Bible is full of patterns. In fact, when God was giving... Moses, the instructions about how to build the tabernacle and all the instruments in the tabernacle. That is the temple of his day. Tabernacle simply means a tent, but it really was a, a moving tent. Which is a good reminder that the church of God has to be alive. It's not this building. It's you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are the building of the living God. And I hope you're not just stuck down in the sand of some desert and not moving for Jesus. These verses are just some of the verses that talk about pattern. Exodus 25, according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle, the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Here's the key. When God says this is the way you do things, we ought to be listening and one of the reasons why we have so much trouble in our lives is we say, I know better than God. Hey, man, he may think that, but that's old-fashioned. That's old stuff. You know, that's passe. If it's in under two years, it's not for me. You know, um, that's not so really. There's a lot of good music that's over two years. And there's a lot of good music 
that is not just contemporary or modern praise, but we need to recognize the pattern that God has given. And why do we say that? Because the New Testament needed a pattern for this new work as well. For the example, the priests, I've been going through, Joe was sharing a little bit this morning about what he's been reading in his scripture reading. He's like way ahead of me. He's in Chronicles. I only got to Exodus so far. But anyways, as you read through Exodus, you get to these very special verses in Exodus, I believe it's 28. Let me just read it for you. In Exodus 28, he's writing to Moses, is saying to take uh, from God, take Aaron your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that they may minister to me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons. And he gives the list. And then give them holy garments which are gifted from artisans. And I will fill with it my spirit of wisdom. They may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. He will have a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a tunic, a turban, and a sash. And you shall make the garments for Aaron your brother and his sons that he may minister to me as priest. This was given thousands of years ago to a nation that had no concept of how to worship God. They had special family. They were born into the family of Aaron. You couldn't just jump in and say, hey, I'd love to be a priest today. What what family are you from? Are you one of Aaron's or Aaron's grandsons? Uh, No, not really. I'm from Benjamin or I'm from Judah or I'm from this other tribe. Too bad. Sorry. God says it has to be Aaron's sons. And they had special clothing. Now, one woman once came to me and said to me, I was doing some visitation in the, I think it was a hospital or something. She looks at me, she says, are you a priest or a pastor or what? Because I don't see a collar. Yeah, she, well, I had a collar. It just wasn't turned backwards. I guess I could have cut a collar off another shirt and turned it around and put it on for her if she wanted it. But the point is, we don't have special clothing. And there's a reason. There is a reason for sure, because we want to do it according to God's way. And when Jesus picks his 12 apostles, he doesn't pick them and say, oh, by the way, guys, are you all from Aaron's family? Are you all Levites? Now, Matthew, yes, he says he was a Levite. But none of the others, to the best of my knowledge, were part of Aaron's family. Part of the priestly family. Why is that? Because he's saying, I'm extending the borders of what worship is all about and what priesthood is all about. And I'm moving way beyond what you guys were used to. It's not about the clothing now. It's not about the genealogy. It's not about your status. Instead, it's about repentance, rebirth, faith, and following me. What about when you become a Christian then? What is our clothing? We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Romans 13, 14. What does that mean? It means that when you come to faith in Christ, you're saying, you, Jesus, are now in me and you are me. And I'm putting you on. And just like you put on your clothing to come here this morning, thank you. Um, Some of you got that. Um, You put on the Lord Jesus. Now, does he, he's got super glue. 
He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You don't just go, ah, oh, this morning I think I'll just put on the Lord Jesus, but tomorrow, because I'm going to go out and do some drinking and drugs and carousing and, and messing around, I'm just going to take off the Lord Jesus. It doesn't work like that. you either in Jesus or you're not. And let me be clear, the Bible is so clear on this. Over and over again, Paul was being accused as he, as he reached out for the, the Lord in his, in his ministry. Over and over again, he was saying, you're saved by grace. There's nothing you can do. And people say, oh, great, I can go out and have salvation, have eternal life, have a new life in Jesus, and get stoned. That's not the Christian message. The Christian message is we, by faith, turn in repentance. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, the good news of salvation. And repentance is turning away. Now, you really can't, re- you can't even repent of your own. Because let me tell you something. You can try and you'll fail miserably until you say, Lord, even you do the repenting in me because I need you so badly. And he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, put on the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And that is another clothing that we're to put on. And the armor of God is about living the right life so that we have spiritual truth and we have the Word of God and we have the Spirit of God and we have faith and hope. All these things. And the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot have the fruit of the Spirit unless you have the Spirit that brings the fruit. And so many today want to have the good works of Christ and they do not know the Holy Spirit who is Jesus personified in this world today. And we need to manifest His works but only because He's manifested in us. Paul could say to the Philippians, Work out your salvation with fear and trouble for it is God who is working in you to will and to do His good pleasure. And then, of course, as Jesus came in on that fateful day, as He came in to the crowds that were praising Him, these same crowds would very soon say, crucify Him. Crucify him. We will not have this man reign over us. And that's the human heart of you and me. And our hearts are so prone to want to be in charge. If you are at the center of your life, if you are on the throne of your life, then Jesus is not. And as one person once said to me, if Jesus is not your Lord, then he is not your Savior. Because you cannot have salvation without the true Lordship. He is God and must come into your heart as God Himself. Does that make you perfect? No. Does that make you sinless? No. It sure should make you sin less. And it sure should make you strive for perfection and the knowledge that He is now present with you. He said to uh, the disciples, abide with me. And abiding with me, oh, I must tell you, my little grape plant was amazing this year. It got three grapes. It still has life. I don't know how it ever manages. I'm such a poor gardener as I am. But 
But God says, oh, well, I'll give you a little fruit to let you know that I am the one who makes the fruit. Maybe you only have three grapes in your life. Fruit for Jesus. Remember, that's his fruit and he's doing it for you to remind you that you are his. That you are his possession. You belong to him. And you put on the new man, which was created according to God. Sometimes we do fall into the old man. It's, it's a trap, but we do. We fall into the old ways. It's when we do marriage counseling, we talk about how our parents and how they brought us up affect us so much. But they also have affected us. The world as our parent has affected us in so much of how we think about life and how to succeed and how to do things right. And sometimes we fall. We fall badly. But, though he fall, yet he shall not be utterly cast down. Though he stumble, he will be raised up. And the Scripture is clear. We are in Christ if we've found him. The early church pattern was found in Acts 2.42. I've mentioned that because it's part of the basis for why we do what we do. Somebody once said, are you guys a domination? I said, no. Well, what are you? We're Christians who love Jesus. Uh, yeah, but you don't have a head office? Yeah, our head office is in heaven. Um, we practice the four big ones here. These are the four pillars. Um, apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And, by the way, in that concept of prayer, that also includes Praise music, because a lot of our praise music is indeed prayer. And so, we practice these as the pattern for the church. When we were looking at studying this chapter, found an outline by Warren Wiersbe. This will be posted so you get a chance to look at his outline for 1 Timothy. I had an outline as well, because my outline comes from the passage that is found in our reading today just prior to the verses that we read together. And it was this. As Paul writes to Timothy, he says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but I, as I am delayed, I write so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church. The church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So he writes how to conduct himself in the house of God. There's a pattern for faith, a pattern for prayer. There's patterns here. Patterns for the positions of elders and deacons. There's a pattern for prophecy. Chapter 4 talks about the latter days. In the latter days, men will depart from the faith. There's a pattern for solving problems. And there's a pattern for power, which includes riches. In other words, how should we look at riches and how should we look at power? In Acts chapter 6, we have the reference to the historical first choosing of deacons. If you remember, there were 12 apostles, one a betrayer, Judas, replaced. And then they were managing the church of God. Their first sermons were small affairs. They only saw 3,000 people get saved. Uh, That's being a little tongue-in-cheek here. I would love to see. Wesley wrote, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. That's our prayer. That there might be a thousand tongues in this community who would come to faith in Christ. 
and sing my great Redeemer's praise. Is that your heart desire? That's my heart desire for this body of believers. And he said that they chose seven individuals who, because they really wanted not to serve tables, uh, they didn't want to leave the Word of God, and so they chose seven of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom will point over this business. They were basically, I mean, that must have been an amazing organization to serve meals for 3,000. We're going to do it for under 100 today. And it's still a lot of work. And on Friday at the funeral service, hats off to all those who are working in the kitchen because I'll tell you, people were giving you the compliments and saying how much they appreciated how well it went. And the food was so good. And they and can you imagine feeding 3,000 though? And not once, but every time there was a meal. Okay, here we go again. And these seven excelled. But they didn't just excel in this way. They were ex- excellent in preachers as well. And Stephen was the first martyr. And so he was an evangelist who was also a dishwasher. Kind of reminds me of Brother Joe. He wanted to win for Christ. But he wasn't afraid to get in there with his arms rolled up and, and serve. And we all need to find out how we can be a part to serve as well. This is the first deacons. Um, this church has seven I can't remember all the names. Or is it eight? It could be eight. But they're on the list and the back. And, they're, and they probably wouldn't want to be drawn to their attention anyways. But we serve. And we serve happily so. And there is coming a day when we will reap the rewards of those servants. Now, Paul, as he writes to Timothy, he gives the explanation of what the deacons were to be like. We could go over that whole list with you. Wow, it's a long list. It has talks about families, talks about children, talks about faithful families, talks about business, uh, ethics, uh, hearts that are clean and consciences that are clean, not being uh, addicted to wine, um, being reverent, not double-tongued, not saying one thing because you know they want you to say it. Um, These are qualifications, but you see, Paul was not so much concerned about the clothing. This is the clothing, by the way. That, that the priests would have. This is the parallels to the Old Testament. These qualifications are like the clothing of Aaron's priestly clothing. However, we can get caught up and say, hey man, that's a fine man over there. He's astute. He is, he is a great businessman. He is terrific in his, in his working amongst the world. He's got all these qualifications. Um, but... One of the things you, one has to remember is that Paul sets this in context and says, don't forget what this is all about. You can look at the qualifications. You can get all concerned about how nice the building is, how things are being taken care of. But if you miss the most important one, which is Jesus. And he writes to you coming, expecting to come shortly. I want to know how you conduct yourself in the household of God. And what does he talk about next? He talks about Jesus. In chapter 1, he says, the goal of our instruction 
is love. Verse 5. Now, he says, the clothing of the elders and the deacons is love. And it's becoming more like Jesus. He appeared in the flesh, rendered righteous by the Spirit, gazed upon by angels, heralded among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. What's he bring them back to? The Great Commission. If you and I are not passionate about reaching out to others for Jesus Christ, if we see our place here as simply a comfortable spot to have comfortable meetings and have comfortable potlucks and to have comfortable funerals and to have comfortable weddings, and we've missed that there is a dying world out there beyond our borders that does not know Jesus, we have missed the most important part of why he came. We can get caught up in form. We can get caught up in tradition. Oh yes, we have our traditions. We can get caught up in our ways of doing things. I'm so comfortable when you do it that way. But what we need to be caught up with is the living Jesus who wants to send us forth to do his work. And so he says, God has appeared in the flesh. He has appeared in your life as well, if you know him. And the question is, are you moving towards him? This passage in Ephesians 5, by the way, I'm applying the Timothy passage to Ephesians. Why? Because Paul was writing to Timothy, who most believe was in Ephesus at the time. And so this passage describes a great mystery. Verse 32. This is a great mystery. And what is he talking about? The love of a husband for his wife. Love of a wife for her husband. What he is saying, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The Lord Jesus wants to see more people one for him. And we need to respect the fact that this is his church. Not my church, not your church, his church. And so Isaiah say to us, Look unto me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by myself, this word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath, and he will say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. Paul uses this verse in the Philippians where he says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Is he your Lord? This is the description of righteousness. And he has been made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And who owns self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, for by his stripes you were healed. And so today, Jesus again says this, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will stop with him and he with me. Did you know that this verse was written to a church? Not to a Gentile unbeliever who is lying in the cesspool of sin. No. 
He was saying this to the church because the Lord knows that in every church there are seekers that still have not found Christ. I'm speaking from experience. I sat in a congregation for seven years professing faith in Christ and having many times gone forward, as it were, figuratively and physically. I was baptized and I still didn't know Jesus. Why? Because he still knocks. He still knocks. And if you've heard his voice this morning, I'm going to encourage you to go to the prayer room afterwards. We have a New Testament. If you say, well, I I don't really like the New Testament because I I don't read too well in English. It's a bilingual New Testament. New Testament in English or in French. And I'm sure there are people there that would be more than happy to talk to you, elders and others. But if not, you can still trust Christ in the privacy of your own home. You don't have to just do it here. This is a sacred moment, and you may not get another opportunity, but please do so. Take that moment and confess before God your need for a Savior, your need for life. And I love what he says. I will come in to him and I will sup. I will enjoy a meal. Whenever we have somebody that we don't know, come over, sit down, and have a meal. We feel like we really get to know that person. So please, get to know Jesus. Take the meal. The offer to free supper. All he wants from you is your life. <laughs> but he's willing to give you his life in exchange and eternal life in exchange. Surrender to a king who is so gracious and so loving is what we ask for. Thank you, Father, for the time together. Thank you for this one who is the hope of the nations, who came to be with us and among us, to live and to die, to be resurrected and to live on in your presence for us. And we thank you for that and we pray that you would help us extend that hope to the nations and to the people that we know. In Jesus' name, amen.